Uh, so last week we looked at these, uh, Jesus calls them acts of righteousness, giving, uh, praying, and fasting. And we said what he's looking for in those things, we call them spiritual disciplines, is those are supposed to be areas where we meet God. We're supposed to connect with God in those things. Oftentimes they become boxes that we check. And that's all, it's rote for us. And so we want to make sure that we're doing those things from our hearts and not just kind of uh, automatically. And so that's what we looked at last week. Today we're going to go through the Lord's Prayer a phrase at a time. We skipped that last week because we didn't have time. So we're going to look at this, uh, I would say, most famous prayer in the history of the world. Uh, Before we jump into it, let me say this. Jesus introduces this prayer by saying, your Father in Heaven already knows your needs before you ask. For some of us, we see prayer primarily as an exchange of information, and it doesn't make sense because God knows everything. And so we feel like we're telling God things that he already knows, and that's a waste of time. Prayer is not an exchange of information. It's an invitation for God to get involved in your life. He is the Lord of everything. He's overcome. He's creator. He's all of those things. But until we invite him to get involved in our life, in general, he won't. If you read through the Bible, there are lots of if-then statements. And one of them is, if my people pray, then I will fill in the blank. Then he will act. And so uh, I think this maybe is particularly true of men uh, because we tend to communicate just on a factual data information level. And that's why we can just nod and shake our heads and grunt and do those kinds of things because we're not dealing with any of this. It's all here. And so when we try to connect with the Lord, again, it can kind of feel silly to us because he already knows everything. And so it can create this, there's this distance in prayer for a lot of us. Uh, This is a broad generalization, but for a lot of us as guys, the prayer, prayer can be struggle for us. They say the average Christian in the United States prays between three and seven minutes every day. And I don't know if you would say, well, I'm below average or I'm right there, I'm above average. For me, it's not really about the time. I don't know that it It doesn't matter that much. The last thing I want you doing is leaving here saying, I've got to pray for X number of minutes a day. That's just another thing on your to-do list. That's another check mark. You kind of lose the whole concept of what prayer is when you're you're watching the clock. Uh, What we want to begin to think of prayer prayer as is a way of, it's, it's a sharing. Again, it's this invitation. God, I want you to get involved in these things in my life. I want you to get involved in these things that I'm doing. I want you involved in... Uh, this area of my community, and I want to be involved in the things that you're doing. And I want to share my heart with you, my life with you. Again, for some of us as guys, that sounds girly, and so it's hard for us to kind of think through that, but that's where we need to get if we want to have a rich prayer life. If your prayer life gets deep, it will get wide, but it can absolutely be wide without being deep. And so this is what we want to focus on today, is what does it look like to increase the depth of our prayer life without necessarily thinking in terms of duration. Although, if you and your wife come to see me tomorrow and you say, we're struggling a little bit, we're missing each other, and as we talk, you say, yeah, we spend three to seven minutes talking to each other every day, I'm probably going to say, well, let's circle that. That could be an issue. And if during that three to seven minutes, the only thing you talk about is finances and schedules and calendars and carpools, that's just... That's running your household or co-parenting. That's not sharing life. And that's easy for us as we get busy to shift into that mode with our spouses, with our children, with our friends. We think we're 
maintaining relationship. We're not. We're just passing information. And the same thing can happen in our relationship with God. So it's not about the length of time. However, there is something to be said for what we're doing during our time with Him. And if we want our prayer life again to get deeper, it might. we, we do need to put in, um, we need to focus. We need to put in a little more effort maybe than some of us are. So let's look at this a little bit at a time. Also, one other thing, Lord's Prayer, not a magic formula. Jesus says this is how you should pray, not what you should pray. They're not magic words. It's not abracadabra. You say this and God's going to respond. Some of you may have come from traditions where this is kind of recited in a very rote way. That's actually what Jesus is speaking against. It's beautiful. You can pray it, but if it's not coming from your heart, then it doesn't matter. And again, it's not not magic. This isn't a better prayer than any other one. Uh, that's out there. Our Father in heaven, you see uh, two uh, kind of the fancy words for that. You see the eminence, the nearness of God, and the transcendence or the the otherness of God. God is both near to us. He's our Father. That word uh, maybe means dad is the best translation for us. It's intimate without being childish. It speaks to access, to relationship, to comfort, to familiarity, all of those things that uh, you think of, I hope, when you think of your dad. That's, that's how God wants us to view him. He said, Jesus says, our father, not my father. That's collective, so we're a part of that. He's our dad as well. So that speaks again to this issue of intimacy and access in heaven. He is the creator. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is above all things. And we want to hold both of those things in common. This is a very famous picture from our nation's history, and it kind of holds both of these things in common. You have JFK, the president, and his son, JFK Jr., playing in the Oval Office. Everyone who walks into that office addresses Kennedy as Mr. President. That's who he is. He is Mr. President, except to that boy, he's dad. He's both of those things for JFK Jr. He's the president, and he's his dad. And we want to hold on to both of those things when it comes to our relationship with God. Maybe uh, if your dad ran his own business, or maybe he was influential in his community. You might have a touchstone for where you can hold both of those things together. He had all of this influence. He had all of this power. People respected him. But to you, he was just dad. And we want to, again, hold both of those things together in our approach to God. Again, I would say, again, speaking very stereotypically for guys, the dad part can be difficult for us, beginning to relate to him in that way. We've all had bosses, and it's easy for us to relate to God as a boss. It could be much more difficult, again, particularly for some of us men, to relate to him as a dad in terms of saying, I'm, I'm sharing my life with you versus I'm just passing on information and getting information back. And that's an area where we want to look to grow. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed is a verb. It means uh, to make holy. So what Jesus is praying here is, God, I pray you are holy, and I pray that you would be seen and treated as holy. You're holy, and we want to see your your name or um, your reputation or your character, your authority. We want to see those things treated as holy. So when we talk about praying in the name of Jesus, we're praying like Jesus would pray if he were us. We're praying according to his character. So, again, we're talking... When you see your hallowed be your name, that's kind of a shortened version of say, you, hallowed be you. We want you, your reputation, to be made holy. And there's a couple of dynamics there. One is a corporate body of Christ dynamic, particularly played out in worship. We want to make sure that we're making God's name holy in worship by the way we give him our attention and our 
adoration and our thanks and our focus and all of those things. And there's also an in-the-world dynamic. Uh, for better or worse, God has entrusted his reputation to us. People draw conclusions about him based on our behavior. The people who say, I love him and I serve him, well, people are looking at you and then drawing conclusions about who he is. I was talking with some friends last night, and we were talking about youth sport parents and how many, I mean, a lot of what happens on the field does not hallow the name of Jesus at all. It doesn't. We lose our minds in those circumstances in a lot of ways. And that's where one of those times people draw those conclusions. Some of you have the little fish on the back of your car. Don't pass me going 90. And don't honk, you know, that type of thing. That people draw those conclusions. And that's not a heavy thing for us. It's just a recognition that says, you know what? As a Christian, I'm a little Christ. And people are going to make, they're going to assume something about him based on my behavior. And you get that, all of you are part of a family, and people draw conclusions about your family based on your behavior as well. And we're part of God's family. And so what Jesus is praying there is just, we want your name to be holy among us, and we want your name to be holy out here as well. So in terms of pulling both of those things out, what does that look like for us in prayer? We want to know who we're connecting with. That's it. You want If you're going to have this relationship with God with some depth, if you're going to be able to share your heart with him, share your life with him, you need to know who it is that you're sharing your heart and your life with. He's dad, and he's creator, and he's holy, and we need to begin to piece all of those things together. And Some of that is easy for you, and some of those things may be difficult in the areas where you don't, you're not quite making the connections. You just need to ask God to help you, particularly that dad piece. If that's tough for you, you need to ask God for help. God, I don't get, I can't. My dad was a bum or I just, whatever. I don't connect with you as a dad. And I need you to help me do that. And he will because that's how he desires to interact with you. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven's first real request of the prayer. Our vision here, and I never talk about this, is to see our community transformed by God. Many of you have never even heard me say that. And the reason I don't say that is not because I don't believe it. I absolutely do. But it's, it's so big, it's hard to find out how to grab onto it. What does it mean for our community to, transform by God, to be transformed by God? You say, I've got to go to work tomorrow. So what am, I supposed to, what am I supposed to do with something like that? And so we've broken it down into a couple of things that I do think are more personal and are easy for us to grab onto. And you can, it really, our vision really comes from this prayer. It comes from this request, the idea of seeing our community transformed by God. It's based on this idea of Jesus saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is, as it is in heaven. God's kingdom coming and his will being done, those are, those are parallel statements. They're synonymous with one another. Where God's kingdom or his rule is being, is coming, his will is being done. And where his will is being done, his rule, his reign, his kingdom is coming. Those things are, it's saying the same thing. And so we break that down into several components. One is personal, looking at your life. We talk about Romans 8.29, that God has predestined us to be conformed into the image of Jesus. You may see your life like that. You might have different labels um, on your slices if you want. Those are just ones that I came up with. And so we've got this, I'm, I'm made up of all of these different areas. And what I want to say is, God, I want your kingdom to come in each of these areas of my life. I want your will to be done in each of these areas of my life. And as it happens more and more, 
for more and more of us, as more and more of us look more and more like Jesus, then our community is transformed. That's that salt piece that we looked at, saying we're the salt of the earth a few weeks back. That's kind of where this can come from. Today's the first Sunday of October. We have three months left in 2012. October, November, December. I'd encourage you, if you're in a small group, your small group leader is going to ask you this question this week. I'd encourage you to think through this. Where on this wheel, or maybe your labels are different, but where is God trying to work in my life right now? If his kingdom, where is he saying, you know what, my will is not being done in this area of your life as well as I would like it to be. And so my finger is on that. If God is trying to conform us into the image of Jesus, and he is, one of the most helpful things we can know is what, what he's actually doing so we can cooperate with him. It cuts down on so much frustration and so much wasted time if we actually know what God is trying to do in our life. He, he doesn't keep secrets. If we ask, he'll show us. And so if you're in a small group this week, your small group leader is going to say, where do you think God is working in your life? Where does his kingdom need to come more fully in your life? I've been married for 15 years, and we've had a recurring disagreement for 15 years. And last Saturday, I think I finally heard her for the first time. She says I make plans without including her, which is true, um, on Fridays and Saturdays. Friday's my day off, so Friday, it's not like they're big plans. It's going to the gym or cutting the grass or whatever, but I haven't included her. And I just say, hey, this is what I'm doing. Or I'll say, hey, kids, let's go grab something to eat. And I didn't ask her beforehand, hey, do you want to do this? And anyway, it's not about the logistics. And I think I finally got that last Saturday. She feels like I'm not considering her in what we're doing. Like She doesn't matter. I'm not seeing her. I'm just doing all these things and leaving her out. So she can't. She says, I feel like I'm a hostage sometimes. What are you going to do? And am I supposed to bend? Is that fair? Good enough. So anyway, that's, that's the one for me. So I've got been three months. I've, that, that's an area where I'm, God's kingdom needs to come in my life. I've got to figure that out. And there's a, there's a practical piece in terms of how we communicate. And then there's an intangible piece that's more important in terms of uh, making sure she feels valued and a part and all of those kinds of things. So that's what I'm talking about. So that's something that I'm pretty confident God is saying, hey, I want... I want to fix that. Okay, so let's work on that. And that, that's helpful for me to know. And I would encourage y'all to kind of think through the same thing. Ask him, God, what, where? What is it for me? Where are you trying? To, it's not going to be 17 things. You can't, he doesn't do that, and you can't do that anyway. It's, it's one. Maybe it's two. It's probably one. And then you can kind of move on to the next. I was, I was praying this weekend, or on Thursday, I thought for many of you, at least, maybe not many, for a handful of you, it's rest. That's what God's trying, that's what he wants you to get. You don't get it. I'm not talking about necessarily about sleep. That might be a component. I'm talking about rest. Where do you um, recharge? Where are you renewed? You don't have that. You do work. You do relationships. You don't do rest. All three of those things, that's Genesis 1 and 2. That's the rhythm for life. Work, meaningful work healthy relationships, rejuvenating rest. You've got to have all three pieces. And some of you, you don't have the rest piece for multiple reasons, but you don't have it. And that's the thing that God wants to teach you in these next three months is how to rest. How to rest. It's not how to lay on the couch. It's how to rest so that you're rejuvenated and uh, recharged. It might involve some laying on the couch, but it'll probably involve some other things as well. So that's the personal element of 
your kingdom come, your will be done. That's a personal element of community transformation. There's also an outside element, an other element. We talk about doing your deal, Ephesians 2.10. What are the good works that God has created for you to do? And we look at these seven areas here. Stonebridge is called to work in Marietta. Many of you are not. You're called to different areas. Some of you are called to your place of business. Some of you are called to where your kids are in school. Some of you are called everywhere there's dirty water. Some of you are called uh, places around the globe to Turkey. I don't know. But you're called to a particular place. And this is one of the ways we look at our community. Are these seven, we call them areas of influence. And there might be one on there that really stirs your heart. And so kind of this community transformation piece on this is to say, God, what would it look like for your kingdom to come in the church with a capital C? What would it look like if your will was done in the church as it is in heaven? That's my wall. For you, you may say, what would it look like, God, if your kingdom were to come in my office? If your will were to be done in my field the way that it is in heaven? If your will were to be done in this school where my kids are, as it is in heaven, and you're thinking my office is not Christian or my school is not Christian, all the better, because that's where his kingdom needs to come. And so you want to begin to ask him those things. And so as we step back and talk about elements of prayer, how do I deepen my prayer life, you're inviting God not only into your personal life, God, I want your will to be done in my personal life in all of these different areas, you're inviting him into Um, the life where you engage with the world. God, I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done in these intersections as well. In this field that you've called me to work, I want your will to be done. And most of you, you already know stuff. You've been called to that field, and so you know a lot about it. And there's a lot of areas that you can probably very specifically invite God to get involved. And you can say, God, and, and ask him, what would it look like for your will to be done here? And that shows you, hey, this might be what God's doing, and this is how I can cooperate with him. Give us today our daily bread. Give us what we need today. Kind of the picture there is going back to the Israelites. Uh, They're in the desert, and every day they wake up, and there's this stuff all over the ground, and it's manna, and that's what they eat, and they can't store it. If they try to get more than they need for their family for a day, it rots. The lesson, daily dependence upon God. We have to depend on him Every day. For most of us, I know most of you, you don't need to trust God for food because you have a refrigerator and you have a pantry and you have a checking account. We we say the blessing and we, we mean it, but food for us is not an issue of faith. I'm not believing God for lunch. I can kind of take care of that on my own. And we can kind of do the chain back and well, he does it. But for most of us, that's not an area where we feel like I'm believing God for food where I'm believing God for clothes, where I'm believing God for electricity in my house. Most of us can kind of take care of those things. Some of us can't, and it becomes an issue of faith, and that's wonderful. Give us today our daily bread. But I think the step back for us is to say, what are the things I do need to depend upon him for today? What are the things where I, because I do have needs, and they might not be material needs. They might be intangible. And am I in touch enough with those things to say, God, I'm going to invite you into my area of neediness as well. I need you to get involved here. For so I was thinking uh, during worship, for some of you, the area where you most need God is hope. You're in circumstances where you feel uh, they're not good. And what you need from God is hope for today. And then you need more hope tomorrow for tomorrow. And you need hope on Tuesday for Tuesday, and your hope is not in changed circumstances. Colossians one twenty seven says, 
Christ in us is the hope of glory. Your hope of glory is not getting a promotion. That's not the glory. Your hope of glory is not if everything works out relationally in this circumstance. Your hope of glory is not even your body being fixed. The hope of glory is Christ in you, and that is unchangeable. Circumstances come and go, and we want to believe with you and pray with you that those circumstances would change. But in the midst of that, we don't want to put our hope in changed circumstances. Our hope is in Jesus, and he never changes. And so some of you, that's what you need today. And that's where you need to invite God in. Some of you need clarity, and you need to invite God in. Some of you need healing, and you need to invite God into those things. And some people, I went uh, to a guy, city leader one time with some other pastors, and we said, hey, what can we pray for you about? And he said, hey, I learned a long time ago to never pray for myself. And I was like, what are you talking about? That's dumb. What do you mean you don't pray for yourself? Jesus prayed for himself. He's God, and he prayed for himself. Of course you pray for yourself. And you don't do this thing, well, I'm not suffering as much as the orphans in Africa. It doesn't matter. You need to bring your area of need to him. Invite him to get involved. If it, if it seems trivial, that's probably more of a you thing than a him thing. Just like as parents, those of you who are parents, you want your children to involve you in the areas of their neediness. And it doesn't matter if it's second grade stuff or 18-year-old stuff or 35-year-old stuff. You want to know because you're their parent. It's the same thing with God. He wants He wants an invitation from us to get involved. So don't um, devalue, diminish the needs that you have. Bring those things to him. Forgive us our debts as as we have also forgiven our debtors. Skip down to verse 14. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. I was reading that at first. It's a bit uh, scary. It sounds like God's putting conditions on grace, and that makes it not grace. That makes it something that we've earned. Uh, It's interesting to me that of every phrase here in this prayer, this is the one that gets expounded upon. Jesus doesn't explain, he doesn't expound upon any other phrase other than this whole idea of forgiveness. So it's, it's important. This is kind of the way I think it plays out. You have two choices. There's two, or you have one choice. There's, a, there's an economy. You can live under the economy of God, which is grace. That is, I give people good things that they don't deserve, and mercy. That is, I, I withhold judgment that people do deserve. I, and that forgiveness falls under God's economy. Of grace, Or I can live under the economy of this world, which is fair, which is you get what you deserve, you pay people back, eye for an eye, retaliation, all of that kind of stuff falls under the economy of this world. And I have to choose which one I'm going to live in. They're mutually exclusive, and you're in one or you're in the other. It's, you're, you're, you've got American dollars, if you've got pesos, you can't have both. And that's kind of what's going on here. There's, there's one, you're in one or the other economy. And so... If Alex sins against me, then he owes me a debt. That's kind of that idea of debt. He owes me because he's hurt me in some way. And if I'm going to hold him hostage to that, if I'm going to hold him in judgment and say, Alex has to make me whole, then I'm living under this economy of judgment that says this is what he did to me, and so he's got to pay me back. Or I'm going to get him back one way or the other. Either I'm going to retaliate against him, or he's going to pay back what he owes me. And if that's the way I'm treating Alex, then that's how God is going to treat me because I've made a choice to live in the economy of judgment. 
It's not that that's that's how God wants to treat me. I've made the choice. I'm going to hold him responsible for his sins. And so God says, well, okay, then I'll hold you responsible for yours. If you're going to make him pay for the wrong he's done to you, then that puts you under this economy of judgment, which means I've got to pay for the wrong that I've done to him. If, on the other hand, I say I'm going to live under the economy of grace, I'm going to recognize I can never pay the debt that I owe to God. And I've got to trust in the blood of Jesus that it covers all of my sins, past, present, and future, that he's paid the debt that I owe and that I could never pay. If I'm going to live in that economy of grace, then that means no matter what Alex does to me, I forgive him because I've made a choice to live under this economy of grace. I can't say it's grace when it comes to me and God and it's judgment when it comes to me and him. It doesn't work that way. I'm either all in this economy of judgment or I'm all in this economy of grace. And so that's how those two things kind of fit together. So for us, kind of the pull away from that when it comes to prayer is we want to invite God into our sinfulness. And that might seem like something God doesn't want to be a part of, but we absolutely need to invite him into that whole issue of sin in our life. When people have wounded me, I need to ask for grace to forgive because I'm not necessarily a forgiving person. I might be a fair person. I might be a judgment person. Or in the best sense of the word, I might be a justice person, and that's what they deserve. And I've got to say, I can't live under this. Or then that's how God's going to treat me. I want to live under grace, and so I need grace to forgive. And that doesn't mean that you have to keep a record of every time someone sinned against you so you can check them off. I forgive. You, if it hurt, then, they, then you need to cut them loose. If it didn't hurt, then it's not a big deal. If you got beat up along the way, then those are the things that you need to release people from and say, I'm not going to hold them in judgment. I'm not going to look for them to make me whole. I'm not going to wait for them to kind of get theirs. I'm just I'm going to release all, God's in charge of all of that. He's in charge of making things right. He's in charge of dispensing justice. He, he is righteous and I'm just going to trust him with that and for my sake I'm going to I'm going to let you go. I'm going to forgive you. For some of you that's actually not the hard part. The hard part is receiving the grace that God has for you. Uh, you might call that forgiving yourself. It's if that helps you that's okay. It's really receiving the forgiveness that God uh, wants to give to you. For some of us, we say, well, what I've done is so bad or so painful or whatever that Jesus' blood will cover 90% of it and I've got to work off the next 10. We don't do that consciously, but that's how we act. We live like we've got a scarlet letter on our chest. The Bible says that God blots our sins out, that he removes our transgressions as far as the east is from the west. He says if we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to cleanse us of our sins, forgive us of all unrighteousness, all of it. But for some of us, that's hard to receive. We want to earn our way back in, and you can't. You can't earn a gift. And we've got to get to a place where we can receive the forgiveness that he wants to give to us, even for things that we think we would almost say are unforgivable. Nothing is with him. And so if I'm going to live under this economy of grace, part of me is saying, God, I want, I trust that your blood is the blood of your son is sufficient. The cross was enough for my sin. I don't have to, I don't have to earn anything. I don't have to, I don't have to add to it. It's not the cross plus my penance, the cross plus my work, the cross plus my groveling, the cross plus. It's not. It's the blood of Jesus is sufficient to pay for the debt that I owe, and I'm, I'm going to live as a, as forgiven. I'm going to live as holy and clean and spotless and righteous in all of the things that the Bible says about me.
And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is James 1. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God can't be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. The picture here is we're not saying, God, lead us not in temptation. That can make us say, well, does God see the source of that kind of stuff? Uh, maybe a better understanding is don't abandon us to temptation or don't let us succumb to temptation. We just read God doesn't tempt any of us. That word tempt, though, uh, can also be translated test or trial. Same word, test, trial, temptation. And there, you kind of see this chart here. They're, they're different, and our response to each one is different. And what we want to recognize is God is not the source of temptation. Temptation is to sin. Nothing good comes from that. That's the devil, 1 Peter 5, 8. We have an enemy. He, he prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. That's temptation. We run from temptation. Testing, that's different. Those are external circumstances that are difficult. We want to embrace testing. The Bible is very clear that testing will come. And God is the author of at least some of that. He takes advantage of circumstances in our life, and he can actually author testing as well. And the point of it is to produce a good fruit in us. It's to make us more like Jesus. It's to refine our character. It's to prove our faith. And so I embrace testing. I want to persevere through testing. I want to, the Bible talks about standing firm till the end. Temptation is different. I run away from that because nothing good is going to happen. That's a lord of sin. The enemy is trying to snare me. He's trying to lead me away from God, and I run away from that. To be faithful in the face of sin, of temptation is to resist it and to run away. And so, again, stepping back when it comes to my prayer life, trying to develop a deeper prayer life, I want to invite God into the struggles of my life. I want to invite him into the testing and pray, God, I need grace to stand firm in this. I need grace to persevere in this. I want what, this is not fun for me. I hate my boss. He's a jerk. But I can't leave. And so whatever good stuff you can produce in me, I've got to go through the pain of being here. You might as well get some. um, Use it. Use it to refine me. Those testing, it's not a sin issue. Normally it's just externally difficult circumstances. And what God is saying is get through. Get through. Stand firm. It's Abraham going up on a mountain with his son. That's a test. Are you going to trust me in the midst of this incredibly difficult circumstance? Temptation is different. I want to invite God into that as well. God, give me eyes to see how I'm tempted. The devil doesn't have horns and a tail and a pitchfork. We'd see him coming. The Bible says he masquerades as an angel of light. He's very good at what he does. His temptations for us, it's incremental for us. It's not, it's not, the, it's not the big one. Jump off and cheat on your spouse. It's... They're incremental. And so then at some point when that presents itself, I've compromised so many times. I got nothing left at that point. I need eyes to see these incremental temptations all along the way. And they're personalized to me. What does James say? It's the evil desires in me that get hooked. And so that's another area I'm saying, God, I need you to take care of that. I don't want there to be any handholds for the devil. When temptation comes, I I don't want to be able to find a place to grab onto in me. So whatever it is in me that, that is tempted, 
I want you to give me eyes to see these temptations out here. And as you're making me aware of those, I want you fixing my heart as well. So that those things become much less alluring to me as I go. It's inviting God into those struggles in your life. So that's, that's part of what it looks like to deepen your prayer life. Saying, I recognize the one who I'm engaging with. I'm not bringing him a list. For some of you, the best thing you can do in your prayer life is to stop with the list. Stop. Like I, All of those things will be fine. Your prayers are not holding those things up. They're not. So just rest. Some of you are in heavy leadership roles. And your prayer time is constantly praying about the things that you're leading. Just quit. Just say, God, I'm going to trust you enough that you're going to take care of this Bible study without me praying about it this week. Do it. It it will be good for you. You recognize. It's not, he's not saying, oh, You didn't pray for your kid today, so here comes the flu. That's not what he's doing at all. And some of us think that way. So, no. I'm inviting him into my life. Recognize, he's my my dad. And he is all-powerful, which is a great combination. Because that means I have access to that power. I'm not just griping to him. I can bring stuff to him, and he can actually do something about it. So that's the first step, deepening your prayer life, recognizing what prayer is, what it's not, who you're connecting with. And then it's inviting him into these different areas. I'm going to invite him into my life personally. I want your kingdom to come in here. Inviting him into my life out. I want your kingdom to come, your will to be done in the different places where I connect in my community. I need you inviting him into my areas of need. I need you to provide for me today in this and in this. And in this, I need you to, I'm going to invite him into my, the issues of sin for me. Grace to forgive people who've wronged me. Grace to receive his forgiveness for me. And then I'm going to invite him into my struggles. God, I need, you to, I need help to stand firm. You say perseverance is a gift, I need it. Give me eyes to see how the enemy is trying to destroy me. Give me eyes to see how he's trying to destroy my family. Eyes to see how he's trying to destroy our church. I want to see that. You said you came to destroy the work of the devil. And so I want to see what those things are. And, I'll, and I want you to take care of the things in my heart that give him ammunition to work with. Let's pray. God, I do pray for the men and women in this room that we would become people of prayer. And that wouldn't, for most of us, that's not, that doesn't look like five hours in a locked room every morning. It's just, that's not, we don't live that way. And so, God, my prayer is in the unique way that you've made each of us, that we would become men and women with a deep and a rich prayer life. And for some of us, that means we're going to pray while we walk. And for some people, it's going to be waking up early. And for some people, it's going to be staying up. And for some people, it's while they're drinking coffee on the back deck. And it's all fine as long as we're connecting with you and sharing our hearts and our lives with you. And I pray for those who struggle with that, I pray this week there would be a breakthrough for them in prayer. That it would just, it would be what you desire for it to be, which is oxygen for us. Just as much as we need food for our bodies, God, we need prayer to stay connected to you. And God, I pray that it would become a source of joy for us who have been burdened for a long time. God, I pray um, 
also for those who struggle with this idea of you as dad and that you would begin to um, expose and remove the lies that have contributed to that and replace those things with the truth. Just in your gentle and clear way of doing that, Lord, I pray that you would do that in the hearts and the minds of the men and women in this room, that we would approach you the way you desire to be approached, which is Father. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with uh, one song of worship and ministry. We'll have ministry teams here up in the corners. Uh, We'll pray with you about anything that you have going on. If anything that I shared kind of stirred something in you, uh, specifically for me, it's this hope, peace. Uh, if If you're wrestling in the area of hope and hopelessness, We would love the chance to pray. We'll absolutely uh, pray that your circumstances would change. We also want to pray that your hope would be firmly rooted uh, in Jesus and not in your circumstances. So you can stand and um, Bo will dismiss us after this song. God, my God, I cry out, your beloved needs you now. God, be near, come my fear, and take my doubt. Your kindness is what pulls me up. Your love is all that draws me in. And I will lift my eyes to the maker of the mountains I can't climb. And I will lift my eyes to the comfort of the oceans raging. Now I lift my eyes to the healer of the hurt I hold inside. Now I lift my eyes, lift my eyes to you. God, my God. Mercy sing her melody over me. God, right here, all I bring is all of me. Your kindness is what pulls me out. Your love is all that draws me. Mountains I can't climb, and I will lift my eyes to the comfort of the oceans raging wild, and I will lift my eyes to the healer of the hurt I hold inside. And I will lift my Lift my eyes to you. Sing that again. 
Lift my 